Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are jumping the gun just a little bit. We're recording on a Sunday, but maybe that's fitting. We had a couple of teams who sealed top flight survival a week early this weekend. We also had a striker who decided not to leave it till the final day to equal a long-standing record. With me this week is a man who needs no introduction, but he seems to be getting one. Nonetheless, it is Terry DeFillon. Hey, hey. Hey, man. It's good to see you, and it's great to be back on Talking Fußball. Yes, spectacular. You, you've got uh, that, that, that brilliant, uh, you know, seaside light coming in through your window there. It's, it's, uh, it's quite impressive. Yes, I relocated to the south coast of England during the lockdown. And yes, uh, it, it's, the, the sea air is good for me. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Convalesce in peace, Terry. No, actually, you know, I'm sure you're quite well. This week, we've got, uh, we got teams breathing a sigh of relief. We've got others wondering what might have been. And we've got late... Late, oh-so-late breaking coaching changes, and much more. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day that's just gone. This was match day 33 Match day 33, which means uh, certain things became clear. We kind of tipped our hats at the beginning of the show to the fact that there is a few sort of uh, early decisions across the league. And I think probably the one that will go down most in history <laughs> is the one that happened in a game that actually meant very little on the day. It was, you know, two teams who had not a lot to play for, one who was already champion, one who, uh, you know, maybe still has a mathematical chance of, of getting into the all-important UEFA Europa Conference League, but, you know, probably not. But, I think it really is fitting in that case to really zoom in on the real news, the historic news. Robert Lewandowski, he got the goal that he needed to draw level with Gerd Müller uh, for the most Bundesliga goals in a single season. He's at 40. Uh, he's got one more game, of course, at home to Augsburg on the final day to make the record his own. Fingers crossed for him. It was a 26-minute penalty kick. So not, you know, a spectacular scissor or anything, but they don't all have to be that way. And Lewandowski showed his gracious colors by revealing a Gerd Müller t-shirt under his jersey as part of his celebration. The other part of his celebration was all about his teammates and how they appreciated him so much. They've basically, they formed a guard of honor or, you know, maybe a, a soul train dance line for him to go through to make sure that he knew that they knew what a big deal this was. You know, they basically had to press pause on the game for, uh, you know, some, some extra celebrations to happen. Terry, would you like to sort of frame it for us? Like, I don't know, just how much Robert Lewandowski means to this Bayern team, particularly in this season, but really throughout his entire career there. What an incredible engine for success this guy has been. Yeah, he's been... I mean, he's been central to Bayern's success, you would have to say, in the time that he's been there. I mean, football is a team game and he would not be the player that he was without his teammates. But I, but I think like no other player in recent years, has there been one who has been also had such a, an influence on his team and on his club but by obviously the sheer number of goals that he scores. Also remember the number of assists that he will bring in as well. And he's just his all-round play. I, mean, I think it's probably fair, I think it's fair to say, because I was thinking about this a lot today, because I figured we'd be talking about this on this podcast. And it's obviously, as a Dortmund fan, it is never entirely easy to, to talk in, in praiseworthy terms, particularly about Lewandowski, because it still smarts that he left Dortmund. But I mean, he is, for me, probably one of the greatest strikers that there's ever been. His technical all-round play, and I've never played at a highest level, but you just look at the way that he plays football, look at the range that he has, the range of skills and techniques that he has, his ability to play in front of the goal with his back to goal, his ability to be able to influence the game on his own accord, to come into the game, interrupt if it's a rubbish game, if Bayern aren't playing very well, he can involve himself in the match in a way that other strikers can't do. 
and and very few strikers even at their best have been ever been able to do and this I think is the gift that he brings to Bayern Munich is he just lifts them and it's very rare to see a single player lifting a club in this manner and then when you couple that with the fact that Bayern Munich have got a fantastic team they're a great club with brilliant players a succession of great players good managers look, uh, looking after them as well he has elevated this team and it's no wonder that they have won as many titles that they have done while he has been involved in, in that side. The downside is, is that you have to wonder about succession management and what happens when his powers start to wane. But, you know, the 40 goals that he scores and, and hopefully 41 to eclipse Gerd Müller, you know, this also is a personal reward, I think, for, for, his, for himself. Uh, and, you know, you can have arguments about the merits of individual awards, but this is a personal, dare I say, achievement which he gets to keep for himself. And I think he's fitting reward for what he's brought to Bayern Munich. Uh, and that along with presumably the statues and streets that will be named after him in, in, the, in the years to come as well. But I mean, he is truly a giant of the game. And I think, I suspect in years to come, we will truly come to appreciate just how much of a giant of the game Robert Lewandowski is. Yep, yep. And he's somebody who I believe sort of built himself year by year toward that. I mean, he has been, you know, a well above average striker for, you know, a decade plus. Let's not be silly about this. But he didn't become the sort of all-conquering phenomenon overnight. I mean, he was adding things to his game year by year to where, as you say, his his influence over a game obviously, <laughs> obviously is led by his goals. And I feel like, you know, when you're a great striker, your first option in your mind is going to be, I'm going to take this and I'm going to score it. But he has learned, you know, he's learned how to, you know, make the final pass. He's learned, you know, how to make runs that create space for teammates. He has learned how to be, you know, fit every single game. You know, this this season, one of the weirdest anomalies of this guy is that, you know, he rarely misses a game. And this season, you know, he missed more than he usually does. But actually, he ended up, you know, making up for it with a lot of multi, multi-goal games. I mean, he is, uh, he's a player that I think we're all going to sort of think back even if we get to see the likes of Erling Holland or, you know, perhaps, you know, Andre Silva, if he sticks around in Frankfurt for a while longer, if, if those types of players stick around in the Bundesliga for some time yet, there's no telling where they're going to end up. But I can say with pretty great confidence, they're probably not going to equal the career of, of Robert Lewandowski at Bayern Munich, at least as Bundesliga players, because his, his legacy in this league, I mean, He's he's pretty much earned himself a place in in the pantheon. Yes, and by matching and and probably eclipsing Gerd Müller's uh, achievement, um, he he very much seals that uh, where there are a hall of fame, he would most definitely be in it. And I, I think that it is a bit of a shame because because Bayern have been so decisive and so dominant in the Bundesliga over the last decade, it's been it's easy, I think, from people outside of the Bundesliga to, to, to perhaps belittle or diminish his, his achievements. I could be super petty here and point out, well, you know, four of those goals were scored against Hertha, but that would be super petty, particularly in, in view of the company that I'm in. But his achievements in the, in the Champions League last season as well, sort of like I think for me have cemented just what a special player he is and just what an outstanding player he is. If he, if he wasn't existing under, in the shadow of Messi and Ronaldo for these years, he would have won multiple Ballon d'Ors. I mean, he is probably, you know, the best, possibly one of the best number nines that will ever be and would take his place amongst the all-time greats. But I think that people outside of Germany or outside of the Bundesliga sphere may need a bit of convincing about that uh, because it, it can appear... Like so one-sided, they say, "Oh well, he plays crap teams, sort of like one, one in three. And I think that that's nonsense. And I think you just have to watch him play to realise how good he is. But it is something that he'll probably that will probably tarnish his legacy somewhat. Is that he's played in such a dominant side? But that's why I think it will take a few years for that to work through because there's every possibility that Bayern might not be able to maintain this level of success in the years to come, particularly as Lewandowski leaves the stage." because they may find it difficult to, to manage without him for a short while. Um, and Bayern Munich have spent so many years 
running themselves almost perfectly and making so many right choices and then correcting the wrong choices quite quickly and quite ruthlessly. That that kind of level of efficiency isn't something that you can you you keep up forever. Sooner or later, you make bad choices, and then you make another bad choice, and then you you, you drop off a bit. I mean, this is likely to happen for Bayern, and I think when we when we see that happen, we'll probably look back on those Lewandowski years and say, "Man, that guy was really really good." And it, you know, it is it's Bayern, so it's always tough. And for anybody, you know, who isn't a Bayern, who doesn't like Bayern, of which there will be a significant number listening to this podcast who don't like Bayern. But for the significant number who do love Bayern, you know, you, this is a golden era. And as, as the great Martin Tyler says, drink it in. Yeah, yeah. You know, we can play all kinds of thought experiments about what if Lewandowski had, had moved to another club or another league or had stayed at Dortmund or what what if Bayern never got him, if they would have gotten on this, you know, sort of nine-year unbroken run of titles. But, you know, that's all – we can leave that all aside. I think um, I think we're all going to sort of look back on his career with a lot of fondness, even if we're not Bayern fans, because there's – along with, uh, you know, 26th-minute penalty kicks, there were a lot of spectacular goals in his repertoire. Let's think a little bit about the future of Bayern Munich. I think we got sort of an interesting, I don't know if it's really a significant wrinkle in their plans for a, you know, a, a crisply pressed future. Their coach, who is going to be taking over next season, which is, of course, Julian Nagelsmann, the golden child of German coaches and his, his generation. You know, he led Leipzig to a second place finish in the Bundesliga this year respectable, led them to a German cup final, got whipped in that cup final under circumstances which I think uh, a number of observers, fans, whatever, thought were a little bit unusual in terms of some team selection, squad selection issues. We've talked about this issue on a couple of occasions. Is, Is there really any significant worry that Nagelsmann as a coach might have a bit of a tendency to outsmart himself or to try to do a little bit too much rather than just put his best players out there and ride them? I think Nagelsmann has has the capacity to learn and review. He constantly reviews his decisions. He constantly just, and and I would imagine constantly reviews his mistakes. And I'm sure that he will look back on that final and, 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 and probably, yes, identify some errors of judgment. I look back on that final, obviously, from a biased position, but even I think were I looking back on that final from a neutral position, that final was dominated by Dortmund's sort of inner narrative taking place. There was tremendous drive in that first and desire in that first half that the best teams would have found it very difficult to cope with them in that. That's not to say that they wouldn't have done, but they would have found it difficult. Because there is, I think, so much personal desire with this team. I th- there's the possibility that a lot of this team, some of the key players in this team may be leaving. And there seems to be a real drive for them to do something special before the gang breaks up, if that happens. And and, I th- and obviously there's the additional narrative of the coach, Edin Terzic, who there clearly seems to be a tremendous amount of personal affection for. And of course, their captain, who's reaching a stage where really this is his opportunity for a, for a trophy. So th- there was all of this going on. And I think that that desire overwhelmed Leipzig. And and I think that Leipzig turned up for the wrong match. And for that, I think Nagelsmann deserves some criticism, bluntly. But at the same time, it's one game out of the many that he has coached successfully and, and will continue to coach successfully. So I don't think we should get carried away. People have talked about the whole, well, can Nagelsmann beat Dortmund? Should he be the Bayern coach if he can't beat Dortmund? But I don't really feel that that's, that's how football works, to be honest with you. I think it really is players that, 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 that usually decide these things. Certainly it was the Dortmund players that decided the outcome of the final. So I, I think that, that that takes away a degree of agency from players. So I, I think that there should be some concerns about Nagelsmann he is inexperienced and there should be some concerns about a change of coach anyway. And I wonder whether or not really, I mean, whether we were, again, we won't necessarily know Hansi Flick's effect on that squad until he's gone. So there's a lot of, a lot of imponderables, but I wouldn't want to put them all down to individual games that Julian Nagelsmann has 
you know, not been properly prepared for. I think that that's unfair. Yeah, yeah. I think a certain degree of, of overreaction tends to happen in the wake of any big game like a cup final. I, I don't buy either the narrative that he's, uh, you know, sort of uh, too much of a tinkerer or that, you know, Dortmund, you know, hoodoo <laughs> has any real effect. You know, sometimes when I read these sort of fun facts slash, you know, tidbits about certain players' records versus certain clubs or certain coaches' records versus certain clubs, I mean, it, of course, it's a it's a talking point, but it, it's it's not a very good one. In most cases, unless it's truly the same set of players versus the same set of players, et cetera, et cetera. I guess we can talk a little bit about Dortmund now since we've sort of broken onto the topic. You know, their, their game is in progress right now, so we can't say anything with great definitiveness, but things are going well for them at the moment. They, they lead mites uh, at present. That brings them, you know, well above the sort of the line between fourth and fifth. It lifts them over Wolfsburg, although Wolfsburg, of course, uh, they have their own game to play later this Sunday, but at least gives them a chance to breathe a little bit more easily in that uh, Champions League football would be assured with, uh, with a win today. Do you think there's any chance you were kind of talking about a sense of finality or a last hurrah with uh, with some of these players? Uh, and truthfully, I guess you can say with the coach too, because since Terzic allegedly is going to move on to being a, an assistant coach to Marco Wolves the next season, although that seems a little far fetched. But do you think that there is any sense that the likes of Jaden Sancho, who you know many English reporters have tried to talk into a move? For several years now, Erling Holland, whose <laughs> agent and father seems to <laughs> try and talk him into a move uh, all the time. Is there any sense that the, these sort of big name, big ticket players, you know, might want to give it one more go if they win a cup, if they make the Champions League? Yeah, I, I think Sancho, there's a very good chance that he will go. Yeah. Because I, I think that there's a degree of desire on Sancho's part to return to England. Um, and I think that as a Dortmund fan, although I would grieve to see him go, particularly if he ends up going to some ghastly football club like Manchester United, I would not hold it against him for wanting, to, you know, to, to having spent his time at Dortmund and think that oh, I want to go back to England and play in the Premier League and cement his place in the England side, which amazingly, I'd still say is not guaranteed, even though... Oh my God, you know, yeah. You, you, I still see tons of people on Twitter talking about how he's going to be a backup for Marcus Rashford. And I'm just I like, mean, yeah, come on. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, I do understand people's point of view because they don't watch enough of Sancho to understand just how good he is, just how special he is, mixed with a degree a degree of chauvinism against the, the Bundesliga. But, you know, it's a farmer's league and all of the defenders are rubbish in that league so you know that's why Sancho is looking so good I don't buy any of that I, I like to think that Gareth Southgate doesn't buy either and I think it's also worth pointing out that Sancho has been playing for England since he was I don't know 15 you know I mean he is an England player uh, and and so from the point of view of of, of Team England you know I, I'm sure he will be involved in the squad it just people just need to catch up. That's all. They just need to get on the same page. But to return to the point, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that happens. Haaland, I, my feeling, my instinct is, is that Haaland will stay another season. That I think that he knows that he's probably got a little bit more work to do. There are times when Haaland will disappear and, uh, well, not physically disappear. He's a very large man, but I mean, he won't, he, he's not, for example, got that ability to be able to impose himself on a football match that, that Robert Lewandowski can. Yeah, right? they're they're polar opposites yeah. in that respect. You know, Lewandowski never disappears. No. And Holland, you you forget about him until he punishes you with two yeah. spectacular goals. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And when Holland has that has that ability to be able to impose himself to the level that Lewandowski has, then then it may well be that, that he he will be just as great. And he's an extremely exciting player and tremendous fun to watch when in, in full play. And he just, like the journalist Barney Rone said, he reduces the size of the pitch when he's, when he's on it. He's a phenomenal player. But I think he could do with a bit of finishing. And Dortmund is, if nothing else, a finishing school for top talent. And I think that there's another season there. So I think that there are good reasons why. Now, the, the counter-argument to that, of course, is that we, we still live, live under the shadow of COVID. The economic situation is not great. Clubs... Transfer fees may well be going down than up, and his agent, maybe his dad, might be thinking, "Well, look, 
maybe we should go this summer because this is when we got the best chance for the biggest transfer fee, the biggest signing on fee, the biggest percentage. And that may play a big part in it. But I think if you were looking at it from a, a footballing, sporting perspective, I think Haaland would probably be happy to stay at least another season at Dortmund to see this thing through. And who knows, maybe Nagelsmann will make a complete stuff of it and Dortmund could win the, the Bundesliga. But you know, it's a big, big, bit of a stretch. But the feeling that perhaps this project is not quite over might well be on, on there. There's still plenty of of fun to be had for, for Dortmund and, and, and for the players, even if Sancho goes. There's lots of lots of great players or potentially great players that, that can step in. So so hopefully that will that will change. But equally that's why I feel that that, that DFB Pokal final was so emotionally like resonant with that team is that the the possibility that the band could be splitting up and this you know this this may be it. Yeah, it's interesting that you you bring up some of the emotional aspects of that uh, cup final. You of course get the sort of I don't know sort of chance for redemption slash you know uh, one last big day in the sun for the likes of 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 Marco Reus, Marco Reus who by his own high standards has not had the season that he often has in terms of, of productivity, in terms of just sharpness, let's just say. But he was <laughs> – that was about as good as I've ever seen Marco Royce play uh, in, in a football match. And it's, it's you know, it's pretty fun <laughs> to see a player who has given us all uh, quite a lot of joy over the years but has always seemed a bit snake bit or seemed to have dips in form at inopportune times kind of get a game where he basically took over. And I think that another interesting subplot is uh, is Aiden Terzic. Not only was he sort of at the center of the sort of you know emotional turnaround of this team and and their sort of you know long steady climb back into Champions League contention, but now he has a signature win, he has a title, and I find it a little far fetched <laughs> to think that he is just going to be Marco Rosa's right hand man or whether Marco Rosa feels comfortable having him as his right-hand man. What, what does the future hold for him? Is it, is it a good idea for him to go away for a while and maybe come back in the future? I hope that, that they can make it work and he stays. I, I think that there have been the criticisms of some of the decisions that Terzic has made in-game, I think are probably quite valid. I think the manner with which he's managed his relationship and with the handling of Mo Dahoud in this squad has been not been ideal. And I think that in a lot of cases, although he deserves massive credit and complete credit for the role that he's played in the cup win and what increasingly appears to be the possibility of a return to the, the top four, there's more for him to learn. And I think that that would be better at, at the lower pressure situation of being a, a second second number two to, to Marco Rosa letting Marco Rosa take all the flack uh, should things go go wrong next season the ideal scenario for me is that Marco Rosa has a decent spell at Dortmund and then when he moves on the Edin Terzic just simply replaces him that's the dream scenario for me but I think I'm probably being overly emotional uh, and I think that your analysis is probably correct Matt I think that there will be clubs that will will want Terzic to be their coach. And Terzic then has to make a decision. And it will be difficult for him because, I mean, you know, his his path to this has, has not been an easy one. I mean, we've all, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people saw the, the Insta, his Instagram post of him standing on the terrace at the Olympia Stadium in 2012 as a fan, you know, when he was basically out of work. You know, it's difficult under those circumstances and anyone who's spent any time out of work will know that someone comes along with an offer of full-time employment, you're going to take it. You know, Aki Vatsker has offered him a contract. Of course he's going to sign it. Of course he's going to sign it. Doesn't mean that he should commit to it because if another club comes along and says, look, we want you to be our first team coach, you know, we're going to pay you double what, what Dortmund are paying and, you know, you're going to, you, get, you get to call the shots, then, you know, why wouldn't he take it? And, and if I was in his position, you, you know, how many times do you get to say no to, a, to those kind of jobs. But he just needs to be careful about who it is who's making the offer and what kind of club it is. I mean, like if it's Hamburg, for example, he should run a mile. But yeah, we, the, Bremen are looking for a coach. <laughs> if Leverkusen are looking for a coach. Frankfurt are looking for a coach. Yeah. You know, Bremen might be a second division job, but those other two, are, those are good jobs. Yeah, no, I mean, the Leverkusen Wolfsburg job. Wolfsburg might be looking for a coach if Oliver Glasner decides to pull the trigger and leave. The best, the best thing for me, I think, would be look with Wolfsburg or, or Leverkusen. I think that would be amazing. I'm still, I don't know whether or not he's ready for that week in, week out expectations, top four finish. You know, this is not a kind of, you know, well, look, here you go, Edin, just like do your best. 
then and let's see what we can do. And now it's like, well, hey, the three-year contract and we want you to qualify for the Champions League on all three occasions and we want to go deep in the cup, you know, on all three occasions. We want to finish like, you know, we want to finish in the final 32 in the Champions League and these are your targets, right? And that's a different thing, right? I mean, and, and, and that brings along different pressures. So I don't know whether or not he's ready for that, but at the same time, it would be really difficult to say no, one, because it's a contract, and two, you have to have the belief in yourself that you can do this. You have to have the confidence in yourself that you can do this work. Otherwise, why would you be doing it to begin with? You know, you have to back yourself and your abilities to see it through. So, so I mean, whatever happens, I wish him well. And what I probably hope more than anything else is that he returns as the permanent Borussia Dortmund coach in three to five years' time after hopefully either a productive spell sat next to Marco Rosa or a productive spell at another football club. Don't rule out the possibility. This sounds daft, but don't rule out the possibility of, of a job in England as well because he, he worked in England, he got his coaching badges in England and he's, he'll be known there as well. And there will be clubs looking for, for, for good coaches in England too. Yeah, and I have noticed that he has made an admirable effort ever since taking over at uh, Dortmund to make himself available for uh, you know English language quotes after after matches. It's it's definitely he he's not shying away from that. Okay, so we can't talk about the final score of uh, Dortmund's game in Mainz, although as I said, it's going well as yet. Can't talk about uh, Leipzig and Wolfsburg. That result will definitely have some implications, both in terms of Leipzig with um you know with with at least a draw could put themselves out of Dortmund's reach for second place. Wolfsburg, if they were to get a win could leapfrog Dortmund and with a draw could at least go level on points with them to, to set up an interesting final day situation. Let's talk about the two teams who who sort of bought themselves a little breathing room or bought themselves safety. That is to say Hertha BSA and uh, FC Augsburg. I guess we can we can start with uh, with with Hertha. I guess their sort of subplot the quarantine thing is a little bit more interesting than Alex Ward. We did have a whole episode about them recently, so we don't need to go too crazy. But I, I was, you know, struck not only as a, as a Hertha fan, but as, um, you know, as someone just interested in interesting storylines to see this team learn to grind out results. <laughs> not only since, since Darda has taken over more uh, broadly, but specifically in this post quarantine situation where Really, they pretty much had one game, which is the one against Freiburg, where they played well and, and, you know, won easily. And in most of these other games, they were just okay, but they just held their nerve again and again and again and again. I mean, this Cologne game, they showed from the outset and I think this has something to do with personnel, considering their, their, their best four attackers were all either uh, injured or suspended, that they were just not all that interested in that other end of the, of the pitch. You know, they were going to basically close up shop and, you know, try and push the ball around as much as they could. I mean, they were, you know, they, they didn't have as much possession as Cologne, but it wasn't a lopsided situation. And, I kind of think that Pal Dardai, despite the fact that he, you know, has a lot of detractors in terms of, you know, the attractiveness of the football uh, his teams play, and, and that's been true for years, I, I'm pretty certain that has gotten his team to play well enough to, to get another year at Hertai. And, and at least the build Zeitung seems to think from the, the whispers that it's getting from the likes of uh, Arna Friedrich and uh, Freddie Bobic, who's going to, of course, going to be taking over as the, uh, you know, sporting director, commercial manager, whatever, that he is going to stick around. Is that going to be a long-term marriage? I think there's a lot of people right now who have a lot of warm feelings about Dardai. I certainly do. He's a great interview. You know, he smokes cigars on the Actuella Sports Studio <laughs> the night after, you know, securing top flight status. Is that really a long-term fix, do you think? My instinct is, is that there's a project going on there and that that project is very ambitious. You know, they want to have climaxes at the end of the season, the other end of the table and not, not at the wrong end of the table. And I think bundled in with that will be a desire to see, you know, great football, good attacking football, you know, worthy of the big city's club that they are, is their latest stick uh, with, with the Hertha. And so I, I'm, I'm not convinced that Pal Dardai's 
pragmatic philosophy plays into that. But but what I, what I am certain about is that I think Freddie Bobic is himself a deeply pragmatic man and will look look at the win columns, look at the, the current forecast, look at the squad and think, you know, this is Herta. Herta plays a certain way. It's not, you know... It's not Ajax from the seventies. It's it's pretty it's it's pretty you know straightforward, pragmatic. It's not terribly spectacular to watch. But what we need to do is we need a coach who understands the intrinsic sporting philosophy of this club, and then get maximizes it so that we can win football matches. And as long as once once Hertha are winning football matches, they can then start thinking about the longer term, thinking about let's, you know, think about different philosophies. Let's talk about let's let's review our scouting and our coaching and our outreach and, and our academy system and what kind of players we want to produce and what kind of players we want to bring in, position ourselves uh, accordingly. Um, but let's do that while we're winning football matches and not shitting ourselves every season that we're going to get relegated and for that your man is pal dardai every day of the week and, and hopefully they won't make the mistake of getting bored with him again and thinking you know we need to change we need to shift things up a little bit you know we need to move up the next level because you know like so many clubs say that kind of stuff and then it ends up biting them on the backside because you know they they've not thought it through they've not made the right coaching appointment or it's just not worked out so these are the challenges, a long-term project that's going on at Hertha and you therefore need a, a, a very safe pair of hands in order to, to, to just keep things stable on the pitch. And Pal Dardai, I think, will, think, does do that and will do that. But you may have some opinions on this, Matt, because obviously you follow them much closer. And I appreciate that towards the end of Pal Dardai's first time period there, it didn't, it didn't go well. But my feeling, my instinct is, is that unless you've got a very clear idea as to what happens next then really you know you're 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 better off you know sticking especially with a guy like Dade because he knows that club inside out and he just like has so much emotionally invested into the club as well oh yeah oh yeah and he's he's said that you know (laughs) I've got a contract whether I coach the grown-ups, whether I coach the kids, whether you know they send me down to the (laughs) the the under 10s like I'm part of the furniture here. Like that's that's a great a great thing to have. Yeah, I I'm I'm pretty certain he's earned himself at least the right to see if he can hit similar heights to what he did his first two years in charge, which is to say, you know, get Herta into the Europa League places. They didn't make it into the, the the competition proper one of those years and you know, only did group stage the last uh, the second of those two. But you know, this is frankly a squad with a lot more possibility than than even the ones that that he had at that point. And I'm sure that Freddie Bobic already has ideas about who he wants to bring in, who he wants to dump. I think, you know, I could even see this lasting longer than than just another year, despite the fact that I think that's as long as the contract goes. So, another interesting subplot coming out of that game, of course, is Cologne's side of of the ball. This was a nil nil draw. It didn't exactly add a lot of uh, entertainment value to the neutral or even the uh, non-neutral watcher. But Cologne are on a precipice right now. I would say them and Bielefeld and Werder are the teams who are sort of, they're sweating the hardest at this juncture of the season, 30, 31, 32 points, uh, you know, respectively. Cologne are definitely making a change next season, I guess, along with, along with Aiden Terzic and Pal Dardai, you know, other sort of dudes and dad bods with, with, uh, you know, sort of sloppy training, uh, outfits. They're very much in fashion. The Bundesliga, uh, Stefan Baumgart is coming in. Uh, he of, of, you know, Paderborn. I saw him a couple of years ago in the Bundesliga. He's taking over at Cologne, which I think, even if that turns out to be a second division job, I think they they probably did themselves a solid there. How damaging do you think it will be for Cologne to be uh, in the second division? We know that it's going to be damaging money wise. You know that's that's clear to everybody. But just in terms of getting this club back onto a a, a decent footing, I mean, that's just. That's basically their their permanent state. It seems at Cologne is is to be relegation threatened, constantly in a rebuild mode. Is 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 bringing in Baumgart gonna sort of help with that? Whatever whatever 
division status they have next year? I think Baumgart's a smart choice for the reasons that you've gave. I think he's, a, he's it'll be a, I'm sure he'll be a fair uh, Erste Bundesliga coach should Cologne stay up, but he'll certainly be a more than capable uh, Zweite Bundesliga coach, no problem, um, should Cologne go down, which I, I think is, is, is quite likely, isn't it? I, I, the the worry for Cologne, of course, is Turbine England is that they're a, like a yo-yo club almost. And the worry is, is that you want to break that cycle. You want to stop happening. But the danger, of course, is that you look back and you wish that you were still a yo-yo club because, in fact, you, you've cut the, the string at the, at the wrong time in the cycle and, and, you, and you're down there. With so much financial instability out there, it is really difficult to know just how Cologne could cope with the financial problems of having to go up and back down, managing their wage structure accordingly. And yeah, of course, the, the, the major issue is, is, is the, you know, where is the long-term thinking? Where's the long-term planning? You know, it, it's, it's just so difficult to strategize, to develop a project, to excite potential investors to come in to support the project when you just, you just don't know where you're going to be. You know, the likelihood is that you're going to be experiencing exciting ends of the season, but you don't know whether or not it's going to be fighting for promotion or battling against relegation. And I mean, what Cologne could do for just a few years of just like sitting like a, a grey mouse club in the in the middle of the Bundesliga, but it just seems out of the question, really. And until they resolve that, there's no real solution, you know, is there? I mean, it is difficult to plan for the long term when you don't even know what's happening at the end of the season. It is a shame because obviously they're a, they are a great club. I've got a huge soft spot for them and they're a traditional club. Massive, massive support. And you'd have to say tremendous potential for, for so much more and capability for so much more. And when we saw the impact that they made on European football when they qualified for the Europa League <laughs> and, and just how much it upset the, the, the North London yuppies that time that they went to Arsenal. They've just got so much to add to the story, but I think it's just got to be one step at a time make a good decision and then follow it up with another good decision. And, and Stefan Baumgart is a good decision. All right, we're coming back now with part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This was match day 33. You know, the break just happened because th th that was when it needed to happen. It, it needed to happen time-wise. But we can basically continue our conversation about teams who gave themselves a really good <laughs> break on match day 34. Let's not just say that they're going to lie down, but it, they, they have the chance to do that if they want. Like Hertha, FC Augsburg are now in a safe position. They defeated Werder Bremen 2-0 on match day 33. This despite the fact that they were reduced to 10 men after 13 minutes. Of course, Bremen were also uh, knocked down to 10 as well early in the second half. But I think it speaks volumes that they got a good you know, 35 minutes with a man advantage and did nothing with it. So yeah, good news for Augsburg. They are going to be sticking around. Marcus Weinziel, of course, who was brought in a couple of matches ago, will get a chance to sort of build things from the first and not the second division. Florian Kofelt for Werder Bremen. He won't. I think it was pretty clear that at the end of the season, it was going to be uh, the the end of the road for him and Werder Bremen. There's just been too much bad water under the bridge, I think. But I think it is extremely puzzling, extremely irresponsible, <laughs> extremely dumb for them to make a change and bring in, you know, Thomas Schaff, who, of course, coached there for you know, a very, very long time, but hasn't for the last eight years. But he is, he's Verda through and through. He's filling the similar role to what, uh, you know, Friedhelm Funkel has done for, for Cologne, perhaps with just as poor a result. Who knows? I can't imagine that, you know, whether they stay up or whether they go down, that Frank Baumann, their sporting director, can last much longer. What do you reckon? No, I'm inclined to agree with that, certainly. He has not managed this situation very well at all. Key issue, of course, is that Werder need to find a sporting director who 
can provide some vision. And of course, really, that issue, who that is, is only going to be resolved when we know what division they're playing in. But we're going to find that out fairly quickly. This is obviously, I think, a decision that had to be taken at some point, but probably needed to have happened much sooner than it than it did. And I think that's the issue. The issue isn't that whether or not he has, whether or not Kofeld has gone. The issue is, is that, you know, the, the reason why they've taken the decision now. I'm going to strike a slight note of discord. They've made a decision to stick with the coach until the end of the season. And then they've realised that that was a mistake. And they've looked at the fixture list and gone, well, actually, the likelihood is that we've got three games left rather than one. And we need to really win all three of those games. We can possibly get away with not winning one of them, but it depends which one it is. <laughs> but I mean, we can. But really, we need to win all three of those games. Yeah, you can. You can lose the second leg of the relegation playoff as long as you won the exactly, first one exactly. four or five. No, <laughs> are we going to win those three games with this current coach? And the answer is almost certainly no. Um, and they should have arrived at this decision weeks ago, and they did, but they didn't. And they've gone right. Okay. So they've pressed the nuclear button and I don't blame them. I have very fond memories of watching my club do something, Crystal Palace do something very similar in the early part of the 21st century where they sacked Alan Smith with two games to go and with the club basically down. And they put in Steve Kember, a club legend, who just went in there and just like ruffled them all up. And we won the, the last two games of the season. And of course, when you're down there, there's plenty of other bad teams down there. And usually you, you get six points from two games that's probably going to see you out, and we we survived, and it was amazing. But you don't want to you don't want to run your football club like that, <laughs> and you know nobody deserves any credit if Verda survived this ordeal. Nobody comes out of this looking good, and certainly there should be no you know on pitch celebrations and champagne and that stuff. I can't stand it when <laughs> when I see players do that. It's like unless you're Bielefeld or something like that. But a club like Werder Bremen has got no business being anywhere near the bottom three. So it's been an absolute disaster all year round. But I mean, we'll see now, won't we? Because obviously Thomas Schaaf, legend, no question. He will definitely make a difference in that dressing room. Whether or not it's a positive difference remains to be seen. Or he may well just go in there and take to the players, right, you're, this is your call. You, you, you tell us how this happens. You've got one game and then we'll have another chat after the, that game and see where we go. But it, it's going to be fascinating to watch. But it's, it's, it's just really is the final mark on what has been a pretty awful management of a, of a great football club. Uh, and just goes to show you just how... I mean, it's difficult enough for Werder Bremen. We all know the, the, the financial problems that they've had. But, you know, good management can see you through this. And that is just not what they had. So, yeah, wholesale changes at the top required in the summertime. Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that financial aspect here because there, there's been some reports coming out this week that, um, you know, were they to go down... You know, and, and, you know, lose out on various TV deals and, and sponsor deals, et cetera. Plus the existing debt that they have that they, they could be looking at a very, very, very deep hole of, you know, close to a hundred million euros, which would probably necessitate them <laughs> bringing in uh, some sort of investor, which, you know, is going to create a lot of problems with fans. It could, um, you know, also be hard just to find one if you're in the second division, especially. So, it's looking like it could be a, a tough future for Werder Bremen, which would really suck because that's a team that's great to have around. Just think about what this is also, how the map of German football is being redrawn, isn't it? I mean, Hanover, Hanover down, no sign of, of them really coming back anytime soon. Hamburg still down, still down, not coming back this this year. The, and, and if Werder go down as well, uh, particularly, and if, if they don't bounce back, then those great North German giants being second-tier clubs, just thinking about what that what that means to, to all of us, really. It's quite sobering. Um, and I'd suggest to you, although it, it's certainly with Hamburg, it's a lot of fun to watch. But it's, it isn't good for business, as they say. You know, it's not good in the long term. The Bundesliga, you know, it needs, it needs Hamburg, you know, back in its first division, sadly. And we don't, I don't want to see a Nord derby in the second division. Well, all right, maybe one time. But I mean, I don't really ideally want to see that. It's a blue ribbon fixture and it should be in the top division. Yep, yep. All right. Well, in that this is uh, the rest of the match day section, we've 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 kind of we've kind of gone off onto a, a tangent of the worst rather than than the rest. But we, we can probably continue down that road, considering we saw an absolute 
epic shambles of a, you know, <laughs> terrible effort, terrible results on a very, very big day performance from a team. I guess we can expect it from them at this point, but man, it's, it's disappointed me this, this last month of, of Eintracht Frankfurt. They lost four, three to Schalke. Goddamn no fear. <laughs> that, I mean, I was, I was sweating bullets earlier this week and when, you know, Hertha were, Looking like they were going to draw with Shaka up until you know towards the end of that game, but seeing seeing your team who's been pushing for the Champions League for so long go down to Shaka, just their third win of the season. I guess the you know the main takeaway out of this, I guess maybe first and foremost is that Shaka have something in the tank that they have some kids who they've been uh, you know trying to give some chances to over the last few weeks, uh, some of whom appear to. Um, was drauf haben. <laughs> they've got something to them. They've, they, they, they can play, uh, which is a, a very positive sign for them. But Eintracht, they just have conked out over this stage of the season. And it, you got an admission from Sebastian Rode this week that the, the story that everyone seemed to try and want to poo poo for a while of, you know, their coach, Adi Hutter, you know, announcing he's going to be leaving for another Bundesliga club before the end of the season. That that was actually a distraction. That it was a detriment to the team. I mean, I, I guess it wasn't, and then it was because you know they got a couple of big wins, and then they stopped winning. But where do we go with this situation? We, it's not just Adi Hütter moving on, but you know the guy he's replacing at Gladbach moving on to your club, Dortmund. There was a situation for a while where it looked like perhaps Terzic was going to get a job before he was finished, or that Oliver Glasner, who has never been all that happy working under Jörg Schmacke at Wolfsburg, was going to be moving on, and you might have had... How troubling is this? I, I, I'm not too fussed about, you know, coaches getting paid, getting good jobs, moving on. It's, it's all just a job for everybody. So all that loyalty stuff, you can throw that out the window as far as I'm concerned. But just... Just from a sort of bringing a season to a close perspective, even you can say it about Nagelsmann with that, that cup loss that we were talking about earlier. Like, it's not necessarily great <laughs> to have a sort of open season on coaching changes within the league happening for the last three months of the season. No, there's a few things to unpack here. I mean, the first thing is, to what extent players should really be excused for dropping off in terms of their performances because they know that their coach is leaving? They're still professionals. They've still got a job to do. And also they still have their own personal ambitions and their ambitions as a team to fulfill. And that's still all up for grabs. And if indeed it's true that their performance is, is affected by decisions that are made, recruitment decisions that are made in terms of the coach then, you know, you have to wonder whether or not that is entirely healthy. I appreciate it's a very delicate balance. Managing a football team is an incredibly delicate balance. That, that, that management, manage, training the players, coaching the players, getting the right tactics and getting the right mental state, getting the right spirit in that dressing room. All of these things are absolutely vital things. You know, all of these plates have got to be spinning all at the same time in order to make it work. And if one of them topples, then it's not as effective. And I... I totally get that. But I wonder whether or not really, you know, there, there are questions that need to be asked about players, about whether or not they need to put a lot of this behind them and just accept that this is something that happens. You know, I mean, but you know, at the same time, football is not like Formula One where you get these kind of things going on all the time. But maybe the mentality needs to shift. And footballers need to, and everybody needs to acknowledge, say, look, this is happening. This goes on. It goes on every year. And we have to work past it and work through it. Otherwise, you know, we end up derailing our season. Now, for some specific examples, if I may, I think Eintracht Frankfurt, there's every possibility that they would have run out of steam by the end of the season anyway, irrespective of where Adi Hutter is going, because the squad is not that deep and it's a long season. You know, and Dortmund bluntly are just, a, you know, they've got a better set of players and they were able to get there. They've been able to get their act together or it looks like they've been able to get their act together just in the nick of time to be able to overhaul them. And it's a, it's a tragedy, really. I'm pleased, but it's a tragedy for Frankfurt. But I think that we should just be careful about that and maybe suggest Sebastian Roder is thinking about these things while he's trying to process the disappointment 
of, of maybe probably not qualifying for the Champions League. But it has been, by any measure, a brilliant season for Eintracht. And anyone says differently is is just needs to just slightly just reconsider, you know, the, the scope of their ambitions. But Gladbach is the thing that strikes me as how things just seemed to coincidentally start to head south once Marco Rosa it was confirmed that Marco Rosa was leaving in that club. And this I think are areas where where, you know, culturally there needs to be some changes. Claire, you know, it needs to be established that this happens, we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it as a club and we have to deal with it you know, as a, as, as a team. And, and maybe in Gladbach's case, it didn't help that Max Abel went on a well-earned break during this time as well and maybe wasn't there to just like, you know, lead at a crucial moment. The alternative is like, well, let's, let's have an embargo on like, you know, contractual discussions with other managers and like, or, or do what they do in England, just lie, <laughs> just, just, just lie to the press and just say, no, 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 I'm not going to that club. No, no, I'm staying here. You know, and then, you know, as soon as the season's over, it, it transpires. Well, Adi Hutter did try that to be fair. Yeah, but it didn't, <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't, I mean, and you can see obviously that that's not going to work in Germany in the way that it works in England because everybody knows the truth in England and so everyone goes, oh, well, that's fine. He's just lying. He's not really lying. <laughs> he's just he's just putting on a front to keep the players on side and to keep the fans on side. And that, that, that's, as tactics go, it's perfectly fine. But it, it's not something that culturally happens in, in Germany. But there needs to be some examination of this because this is going to happen next year. And it is a shame because you don't want to see good teams getting their, their seasons derailed by stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a very particular set of circumstances that made these two examples, which is to say Frankfurt and Gladbach, so tricky. I mean, you know, in every league or in every, you know, Formula One lineup, there are, there are teams who expect to win. There are teams who expect to come in third, fourth, fifth. And there are teams who just are struggling to, to stay alive, to stay in the league. And I feel like clubs who are in that sort of second tier – like Eintracht, like Gladbach, who are trying to get into the first tier, they're the ones where the break of that promise, the break of that, you know, togetherness is most damaging. I mean, basically anybody who plays for Mainz or plays for Augsburg or, you know, Bielefeld or coaches those clubs, everyone there would be delighted to take a job at Dortmund or at Gladbach or whatever thing you can perceive of as a step up because it's so obvious. But being in that sort of second, you know, aspirational to first tier and really learning <laughs> that in fact the job that you thought your coach was doing is not the job that they really want to be doing. And I feel like that admission, that sort of facing the music of the fact that the status of where you are is not that great, at least in your coach's mind or somebody's mind. I think it's it's particularly difficult to process. Um I I thought that we were building something here, man. I feel like when you're when you're when you're telling yourself that at Mites or at, you know, the other clubs I mentioned, what you're building toward is just respectability, is to be maybe a mid table, maybe Europa League club. The ambitions were bigger at these clubs and, and the idea that, you know, he doesn't want to help us reach those, those, uh, you know, ambitions is probably not great for team spirit. Okay. So, so Gladbach, you mentioned their, their poor form, uh, to round out the season. They, they continued that. They lost to Stuttgart on the weekend. They dropped to eighth place, losing 2-1, which, you know, Really puts them at dis disadvantage in the all-important race for the UEFA Europa Conference League race. They're now one point behind Union Berlin, who, who drew 1-1 in Leverkusen, which, you know, stunning, stunning success for uh, Union. I mean, this is a, a club that we all know the story of where they were just two seasons ago. We all know the story of, of how many financial difficulties they've had over the years. So to get into any kind of... Um, European competition for a club of that stature is, is pretty great stuff. Hannes Wolf, however, the coach of Leverkusen, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced he's not going to be sticking around. I don't think that anything other than a dramatic turnaround would have done it for him. But oddly enough, he, I think he's probably damaged his reputation a little bit by what he's done at Leverkusen. He's made them hard to beat, but he's also made them dreadfully boring. Their number of, of shots, their XG, all offensive, you know, output 
stats have gone way down. They've become a totally conservative side. It's been really weird and kind of sad to see. It is. I, I, I mean, I can only just put it down to a, just a, an overall philosophy that Hannes Wolf is, in, as it is employing at, at a club that's just completely out of kilter. With that philosophy, I mean, Bayer Leverkusen don't stand for that. They have a very, very clear football approach. You know. They're an attacking club. They are a, a cavalier yeah, club. Uh, they're wired for that. Yeah, and, you know, you're not... There is an argument to say that Bayer Leverkusen might have won more trophies if they had hired Diego Simeone 10 years ago and tailored the club around that philosophy, but they didn't. Uh, and I'm glad that they didn't. And that they're not going to start that now. That Their whole setup is geared towards that. So, I mean, I'd be astonished if Hannes Wolf was still the Leverkusen coach next season um, and expect a, a, an appointment that's far more in, in the spirit of what we know Leverkusen can achieve. You know, this is not the most popular football club in Germany. Let's not beat about the bush. And there are, uh, are arguments about just to what extent this club should enjoy the success that it does. But what we do know about Leverkusen is, is that they bring, you know, good football, you know, to, to, to a football match. You know that in theory you're going to watch a decent game of football if they're there. We don't want that to change. That's 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 not what we want to change. That's not the kind of change we want to see for Leverkusen. So, I mean, Hannes Wolf, I think, is probably likely to find himself a mid-table second division team, I think, maybe with a, you know, with some money, maybe with some ambition to, to do something, but but need a good solid basis with which to build on and maybe that's the kind of work he does or maybe he should just go back to under 23 coaching because that's where he was did his best work right yeah yeah and and you know for other players or other coaches rather who have uh, had sort of somewhat mystifying career stall outs especially ones who were highly tatted at one point in their their you know young coaching career sometimes the dfb is the place to pursue that as well Sometimes it, spending some time either coaching, uh, coaching youth or assisting at the top level for the national team can be, can be a good spot. So, you know, we'll see what happens to him. Just one last little bit of mop up before we drop things off. Bielefeld drew 1-1 with uh, Hoffenheim. I don't want to sort of minimize the achievement of, of what Bielefeld have done, which is to say, give themselves uh, a real upper hand going into the final week of the season. They are two points up on Cologne, one point up on Bremen. They therefore have an inside track. Basically, all they need to do is, uh, you know, get a win and they're, they're staying in. And, you know, even a draw would probably do it depending on what happens with other results. They are playing Stuttgart in Stuttgart next weekend. Want to uh, fancy a quick guess as to who's going to, who's going to go straight down, who's going to be in the relegation playoff and who's going to stick around. You know, Schalke are playing in Cologne. Werder Bremen have, uh, have Gladbach on the final day, leaving the, the, the irony of Cologne fans, uh, rooting for Gladbach on, on the final day. <laughs> I've got a feeling it, it could be as it is. I, I, I think that, that Bielefeld are going to do this based upon nothing, based upon nothing, but just looking, well, no, it's not based upon nothing. I think Schalke are emboldened and I think would love the opportunity of dragging Cologne down with them. I think they would they would see that as a, as, as, as a good way to end the season, what's been a terrible season. I'm not sure that, that, that Cologne have got it in them to, to produce enough resistance. And I can't see Werder. Oh, well, we'll see. Werder are the, are, the, are the loose element here. We'll see what happens if Thomas Schaff's Werder, if, that, if that, that could well be the thing. But I mean, for me, I think there's a good chance... The, the blitz table will move around quite a bit, but probably end up exactly as it is now by the end of, by the, end of, the, of the week. Uh, and it's further in, in with a shot. And Bielefeld, you know, a, 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 famous, a famous season staying in, in the Bundesliga. Yep, that would, certainly be, uh, that would certainly make things interesting. If they were able to pull it out against all odds. Okay, that's a wrap of another edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced with care. By none other than Aiden Rantoul. Terry, lovely to get you back on the show. It had been far too long. Way too long. It's great to be back. Feels good. Nice, nice. I, I hope 
I hope you felt very much at home because it feels like home with you around. <laughs> That's really kind of you to say so. And yes, I do feel very much at home here. All right. You can find uh, Terry on Twitter at Terry DeFellon. Do you have any, any plugs that you'd like to put out there about things that are going on? Well, you may remember that I do. I have written a book. I know. Uh, a History of Borussia Dortmund. Yes, Borussia Dortmund, A History of Black and Yellow, which has been delayed uh, and delayed and continues to be delayed, sadly. Um, however, we are confident of an August release for this uh, book, but I am having to write a small update <laughs> to take into account the recent events at Dortmund. But yes, August time, that's due to be out. But I would like to think that the listeners will hear my voice before that happens. Spectacular. Yeah, and I am confident that it will be really, really good to read. As for me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Please do subscribe to this podcast. Please rate us positively. Uh, review us. You know, tell your friends about us. That's the most important thing. Then your friends can become our friends and then the party gets bigger, etc., etc. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.